Good evening, good evening, good evening, everyone. Hallelujah. Welcome to um, Life Class on a Wednesday, and we are in for a great time this Wednesday evening. We are starting a new Life Class class series tonight. Hallelujah. Welcome to the month of April, our month of breakthrough. You're going to break through in this month. You're going to break through on the right, on the left, all around breakthroughs upon breakthroughs will be yours uh, this month and one of the keys to breakthrough is prayer hallelujah we give god all the glory you need revival in your prayer life today i commence prayer school a series of teachings on prayer prayer is the is key in the believer's life prayer is key in the believer's life our prayer lives determine so much in our lives as believers and this is a teaching series this prayer school is, is something that you do not want to miss you do not want to miss these teachings these teachings are going to be life-changing they're going to set you up um, particularly with the emphasis on learning how to pray in the new covenant, under the new covenant, which is different from praying in the old covenant before Jesus's death and resurrection. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. The, the foundation that we're laying this, this evening is going to be taken from the book of Luke and chapter 18. So if you have your Bible, move your, uh, go to Luke and chapter 18. I'm reading from verse 1 to verse 8 of Luke and chapter 18. Here beginneth the reading of God's word. It says, then he spoke a parable to them. This is Jesus speaking, that men ought always to pray, ought always, always ought to pray and not lose heart saying there was a certain city, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest her continual coming, lest that by her continual coming she weary me. Then, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Okay. Then verse seven, and, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he yet find faith on the earth? This is the text that we're going to use to teach this evening. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Now, Jesus here, he, he reveals the reason that he's sharing this parable with his disciples. Jesus taught the men that taught that men ought to pray and not faint or and not grow weary. And to emphasize his point, to emphasize the objective of his teaching here, he gave us the parable in our text, a parable that included an unjust judge, a widow, a persistent widow, and then the ultimate reversal of her fortune. 
unlike other parables, when we look at this parable, this parable is not illustrative of the God-man relationship, this particular parable. God is not in this parable, okay? God is not in this parable. In other words, the unjust judge in this parable is not representative of God. Why? Because God is not unjust. So it, this parable is not a parable in complement. It is a parable in contrast. So the tool being used by Jesus in this parable is the true tool of contrast, to contrast one thing with another, to cause us to be able to see something a whole lot clearer. Uh, sometimes for you to really appreciate something, you have to contrast it with what it is not. And that's what Jesus was doing here. So it was to contrast that if an unjust judge would respond to the persistence of a widow, how much more would a living and willing and loving God respond to the faith of his children? If an unjust judge can respond to persistence, then how much more will a good God respond to the faith of his children? But when we get to Jesus' conclusion in the text that I just read to you, there seem to be some contradiction because he says, Shall God not avenge his elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Now, the contradiction there is that which one is it? Is he bearing long with them or is he avenging them speedily? Why does it seem that prayer is so hard sometimes? If our God is a good, good father, why do we even have to pray, pray in the first place? So the question that we are addressing this evening to lay a foundation in the series of the prayer school series is why pray? Why do we pray? You might be able to type into the, into, into the chat right now, why pray? Why do we pray? Why do we pray? Now let's pray. Mighty Father, I ask that you help me that you cause my tongue to be as the pen of the ready writer tonight, that you help me to rightly divide your word and to inscri inscribe the living truth of your word upon the hearts of the men and women that are listening tonight. And that by reason of the revelation of your truth, they will be elevated to a new level of experience with you. I pray, oh God, that yokes will be destroyed and burdens will be lifted and that there will be a revival in our prayer lives by reason of the word that we receive tonight and the move of your spirit in the mighty name of Jesus, we do pray. And the people said aloud, amen, type amen in the chat wherever you are, if you are ready to receive God's word. This is going to be an impactful series. We're going to be moving line upon line, precept upon precept. We're going to be moving from glory to glory. So you want to make sure that you, are, you, you attend throughout the prayer school. Hallelujah. And the certificate you're going to get at the end of the prayer school is answers to your prayers in Jesus' mighty name. Before I start addressing the question of why pray, why do we pray, I'm going to quickly extract some lessons from our text because our text is just loaded with so much truth. Jesus states the purpose for which he was sharing that parable. And he says that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Um, to not lose heart means to not faint. It means to not give up. It means to not grow weary. Hallelujah. Don't lose heart. So it already indicates that there is a continuance in prayer 
that makes prayer effective. So he says men ought always to pray and not lose heart. It also it already starts to signify that sometimes you are praying and the answers aren't coming quickly, but you've got to learn not to be weary. It reminds me of that scripture that says, weary not in well-doing for in due season, when the cup is full, when harvest time comes, you will harvest. You will have a harvest. So we start to see that immediately from the text. Then it talks about the, a widow. A widow is one, obviously, who has lost her husband. And in the context of, of, of the Jewish people and in the context of the Bible, a widow is one without help. She has no recourse, nowhere to run to. She has no covering. Again, according to Jewish, Jewish custom, the man is the covering. The husband is the covering over the wife. Now he's gone. She has no covering. So she has no other place to turn to but to turn to God. What lesson can we draw from this? We have to become persons that depend upon God over depending upon men, that look to God as the true source of our help and not men as our help. This woman decided, I have no other recourse but to turn to this judge for his help. We must not lean upon the arm of flesh, but rather turn to God. It says that the widow sought for her to be avenged of her adversary. So she introduces the concept to us of there being opponents, of there being adversaries, to us getting what we want or what we deserve. She introduces the concept or the reality of opposition, even in prayer. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's important for us to quickly note that. So put a bookmark on that one and note that. The widow would not let the judge rest. So we too, you and I too, must learn how to not take no for an answer. We've got to learn to be persistent people that stay and stay and keep on staying. Oh, that we don't give up. We persist in the prayer of, uh, in the place of prayer. We've got to be like those that lay their hands upon the horns of the altar and they won't let go till they get their answer. People that are able to stay till they find the way through. That's what we get out of that. Then in Jesus's conclusion, she, he, he talks about uh, that God is willing to answer. Oh, hallelujah. Though he bear long, bears long with his children, but he wants to avenge them speedily. So he shows you. Now, listen, listen, listen. He shows us that the problem is not with God's willingness. God is willing to answer us speedily. So there is no issue with the willingness of God. There's no issue with the willingness of God. But then when Jesus said God bears long with his elect, his very own elect, he bears long with them. Now, when you look closely at that phrase, bear long, to bear long suggests waiting for something to happen. It's like God is willing, ready, eager to answer, but certain things have to be in place for him to legitimately, justly, legally bring the answer through. So he's waiting for something to happen. What is God waiting for happen to happen that he's bearing love with his elect, waiting for it to be in place so that he can now move legitimately? He's waiting for us to get it right. He's waiting for us to learn how to pray right. When we learn how to pray right, then God can answer as speedily as he's always wanted to answer. Can I tell you something? God wants to answer you far more than you are even ready to ask. 
God is eager to answer, but he's waiting for us to get it right. We need to get prayer right. And this series is all about helping us to get prayer right so that God will no longer have to bear long with us, but rather he will be able to answer speedily. So we now go back to the question of tonight's teaching, which is why do we have to pray in the first place? Why must we pray? The call to prayer is clear and is repeated throughout the New Testament. Even our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, while he was walking upon the earth, we are taught that he had a sustained prayer life, that very often he would wake up great hours before day and to go into the place of prayer. I, I, I'm going to teach another message on that. I'm not sure whether it's going to be in this series. What did Jesus pray? Does Jesus's, did Jesus' prayer life look like our prayer lives? The things that we pray, was that what Jesus was praying when he was praying all night as often as he did? But the key point I want you to get out of this is that if the Lord of creation still needed to pray in his earthly life, how much more you and me, we are called to the place of prayer. Repetitively, he taught us to pray. He said men ought always to pray and not faint. Paul also set an example of prayer, and there is much revelation in the Pauline prayers. So there is a definite, definitive call to prayer for the believer, but why pray? The word of God lets us know in the book of Matthew chapter 6 that God already knows all of our needs. Now, if God already knows all our needs, even before I know them, why do I still need to pray? Isn't he a good, good father? Why wouldn't he already supply for what I need? Why does he have to wait for me to pray or for me to ask for it before he answers my prayer? Now, to understand why we must pray, we must go back to the book of beginnings. We must go back to the beginning. And we see something in, in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God is unveiling his intent for creating man, he says, and God said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness and let them have dominion. Yeah? God says, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness and let them have dominion. If you take the words between the let us and let them out of the way, this is the, the, this is the summary. Let us let them. Let us let them. God was saying, let us let them. Let us let Temilolu. Let us let Abisoye. Let us let um, Funke, let us let put your name inside. God says, let us let them. You see, what he, what he was doing by that very phrase, that statement, was that he was delegating. Listen, he was delegating authority to man. He was delegating authority from God to man. He was given man authority over the earth. Let us let them. To let is to relinquish control and to give control to another. He was saying, let us, let them, let them have control. Let them be the ones that are in charge upon this earth. Let us, let them have dominion. God gave you dominion. God gave us dominion. And he gave us to gave dominion to both the male and the female. Because the next verse 27 says, and he and God created the male and female created he them. So this dominion man, it was given both to the male man and to the female man. But the, 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 he gave us authority. 
Now with authority comes responsibility. So God gave both authority and responsibility for what takes place upon this earth to man. He delegated authority and responsibility for the earth to you and to me. In the book of Psalms and chapter 115 and verse 16, it says, the heaven, even the heavens of the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the what? Children of men. He has given us the earth. The heavens are ears. He has given us the earth. He has given us responsibility and authority in the earth. Now, what does this have to do with prayer? I'm getting there. So, for anything, listen, for anything to legitimately happen on the earth, since authority and responsibility for the earth has been given to man, it has to go through man. Hallelujah. It has to go through man. So God, man becomes responsible. Now, this is, this is powerful. This delegation was absolute. So absolute that even for God to intervene going forward after the delegation, it would have to be by the invitation of man. Hallelujah. Do you realize God, God remains the owner of the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But he has delegated authority and responsibility of, for the earth to man. It's almost like he, he has given us a lease. Ooh, hallelujah. He has given us a lease. And while we are still in the term of the lease, it is our choice. It is our responsibility. It's within our authority what happens in the earth. And God himself cannot intervene without the invitation of man because man has the authority and the responsibility for the earth. For legitimacy to be legitimate, to be legitimate on the earth, you have to have an earth suit. An earth suit. Hallelujah. Do you know that spirits are not legitimate upon the earth? Spirits are not legitimate on the earth on the earth unless they have an earth suit. What's an earth suit? Your body is your earth suit. So spirits are always looking for bodies to inhabit for them to be able to operate upon the earth. Hallelujah. When God fell, he when man fell, rather, he handed that authority, that delegated authority that he, God had given him, he handed it over to the enemy. Hallelujah. Uh, he gave the enemy access to start to operate on the earth. This goes against some of our religious thinking when we say that God is in control of the earth. I beg to differ. God is not in control of the earth. God retains ownership of the earth. But the, during this spiritual lease that man has over the earth, it's actually mankind that has control. Delegated authority has been given to man. So God is not directly in control of the earth. He's in control of the earth through his sons and daughters that are in submission to his will. Okay, back to the key point. The key point I'm trying to make tonight as a foundation is that God, therefore, needs an invitation to intervene in the affairs of man. Why do we pray? So we start to see clearly here. Prayer 
is the invitation of God. Prayer is sending an invitation to God and asking him to come. Miles Monroe, uh, Dr. Miles Monroe of Blessed Memory defined it this way. He said that prayer is earthly license for heavenly intervention. I like the words prayer is earthly license for divine intervention. Hallelujah. Prayer is earthly license. Prayer is giving God the legal premise to intervene. The man that has the authority has given God the legal premise to intervene. Prayer is calling upon God. Prayer is inviting God into the circumstance. Therefore, at the heart of it, prayer is a posture of humility, admitting the need for God. Hallelujah. When you pray, you are admitting your need for God. You are admitting that you cannot do this by yourself, that you need his help. Now, it's not just you that is looking for God's intervention. God also is looking for men through whom he can intervene. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you see that even for Jesus to intervene, he had to come and put on an earth suit. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So because God is bound by his own word, he's constantly looking for a man or men to work through, to intervene in the affairs of man. So God is always looking for men through whom he can intervene in the affairs of man. Hallelujah. Listen to what Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30 says. So I sought for a man amongst them who would make up the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. So God is looking for that man that will stand in the gap. God is looking for a man through whom he can move. Even today, even tonight, even right now, God is looking for men to stand in the gap. Right now, God is calling us and he's calling you that's listening to me. He's calling you to the place of prayer. He said, I need your prayer in order to be able to intervene in the affairs of man. Our text said that when the son of man returns, will he yet find faith on the earth? What's he talking about? Will I still find men and women that believe God, that know how to pray, that know how to invite divine intervention into the circumstances of man on the earth? Hallelujah. Now, God worked with and through the patriarchs, the kings, the priests, and the prophets. But none of them could quite reverse the error of Adam in the beginning. So God had to come himself. But he could not, could not have legitimacy on the earth without putting on an earth suit. So he entered into Mary's womb and clothed himself with humanity so that he could walk on the earth uh, 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 walk on the earth legitimately as fully man and fully God and then he could stand in the gap for us uh, and pay the price for our sin and reestablish through him the connection between heaven and the earth. The very life of Jesus was an embodiment of prayer itself. Hallelujah. It was a picture of prayer. Prayer being 
the access point for heaven on the earth, on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. He had paid the price fully, completely, redeeming man entirely. He solved the same problem once and for all. So it's a finished work. Now, I, I, as we understand the new covenant and understand the finished work, this creates another problem when we are dealing with, with why do we pray? Because if it is finished and done, it re-emphasizes the question. So why do I need to pray if it's already finished, if it's already fully paid for, if it's already done? Why do I need to pray? I'm going to answer that. Now, it is finished indeed, but it is finished in heaven. It is not yet fully manifest. That finished work in heaven is not yet fully manifest on the earth. Listen to Psalms 119 and verse 89. Psalms 119 and verse 89. He says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Your word is settled where? It's settled in heaven. Is it settled on the earth? Not yet. It's settled in heaven. It's not yet settled on the earth. And as I was checking the whole of scripture, I didn't see anywhere where it said that the word is already settled on earth. Forever it's settled in heaven. It's already established. It's done. It's a finished work. But it's not yet settled on earth. It is you and I, our responsibility to settle what has been settled on earth to now settle it on the earth, on, uh, settled in heaven to now settle it on the earth. How do we do it? We do it through our prayers, through our prayers. Listen to the famed Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 that I quote so many times. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you and I are already blessed. You are already blessed with all, not some, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are you blessed? You are blessed in heaven. With what? With all spiritual blessings. Ha. That's in heaven. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. But guess what? You still have to live and walk upon the earth. So your prayers is the way you bring what is already uh, in existence in heavenly places, your all blessings in heavenly places, and translate them to the earth. My goodness, I hope you are getting this. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5, we read about spiritual warfare. Maybe we'll get to teach about spiritual warfare in this. We will de definitely touch on spiritual warfare in this prayer school series. But it, it, what, we, what it lets us see there is that though we walk in the flesh, we are, we, we are, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are spiritual weapons. We are actually operating from above, even though we are walking in the earth. So this shows us that there is a dichotomy between, a dichotomy is a separation, a chasm, a, a clash, a contradiction, between what is finished in heaven and the work in progress on the earth, in your situations and in your circumstances. And as believers, we are constantly grappling with these two realities. The reality of it's already done, it's already finished in heaven, and the reality of our lack, our need, our challenges, our problems on the earth. Now, prayer becomes the bridging between these two to superimpose the finished work in heaven 
upon the earth. So this is what prayer is. Uh, so why pray? Uh, we see that prayer is essential because it is the only legal pathway for divine intervention. If we don't pray, God cannot intervene. If we don't pray, God cannot intervene. Are you getting this? Is this making sense to you? This starts to speak to the necessity of prayer. And it also starts to tell us about the purpose of prayer. Let's quickly talk a little bit about the purpose of prayer. It's not what you think it is. Hallelujah. In the book of 1 John chapter 5, from verse 14 to 15, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he has heard us, whatever we ask, then we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. This is the confidence that we have, that when we pray according to his will, he hears us. And if he has heard us, then we know we receive that which we have asked. So I'm only confident in prayer when I am when I'm confident that the prayer that I'm praying is in accordance with his will. It's in accordance with his will. That's what gives me the confidence in prayer. Our confidence in prayer comes from knowing that we are praying in accordance to his will. We are confident when we know we are praying the will of God. We are not confident when we are not sure that we are praying the will of God, which brings us to a fresh definition and understanding of the purpose of prayer. Listen and get it. Prayer is not really a way to get what you want. Prayer is a way to get what God wants. Prayer is not really a way to get what you want. I'm sorry, I'm busting your bubble. Prayer is a way to get what God wants. In our infancy, uh, in our kindergarten years, in our youthful years, we thought that prayer was about getting whatever we wanted from God. But as we matured, we came to realize that God is not a vending machine, but rather a great designer um, that, 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 that has a divine purpose and counsel that he intends to see performed upon the earth. And we are meant to get into partnership with him to see his will done of, uh, upon the earth. You don't need to be afraid of the will of God because the will of God is a good will and everything he wills for you is better than you would ever will for yourself. The purpose of prayer is to bring to pass the will of God upon the earth. Prayer is not really about you. It's about God and his will to be done upon the earth. Woo, hallelujah. Jesus, help me. In the book of James, it talks about how our prayers are not answered, James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, because of our motivation. The motive behind our prayers is all about self, to consume it upon our own desires. If your prayers are only about you and your things, you haven't gotten to the real purpose of prayer yet. True godly prayer is not about you, it's about God, and indeed it is about others, the will of God being done upon the earth. It's about God's will, it's about God, it's about God's blessing being translated to the world. When, when the disciples came to Jesus to ask him to teach them to pray, Jesus started to give them a pat, pattern of prayer. We read a little bit about this in Luke chapter 11 from verse 1 to 4. But the pattern of prayer starts with this. Listen to what Jesus says. It says that, pray in this wise, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
So even in Jesus's model of prayer, it starts with a kingdom priority. It starts with a kingdom focus. It starts with a focus on the will of God being done. Through our prayers, therefore, we access the heavens and bring the heavens right down here on earth. We usher in days of heaven on the earth. Somebody said, but my will, but my will, but there are things that I want. It's all right. I have things that I want also, but I'm aligning my wants, my own wants with God's will and God's want. We've, we've had a generation that in their kindergarten are refusing to mature. In our kindergarten, we just went straight to God with, a, with our shopping list of what we wanted him to do. And it's all right. We're in a season of fasting and prayer now. We all have a request that I challenge every one of us to have. And we're already having tremendous testimonies to those. But God is calling us higher. Who is going to go into the presence of God and say, God, what's your shopping list? What do you want done on the earth? Can I pray your will to be done upon the earth? Hallelujah. John chapter 15 and verse uh, 7. 7. John chapter 15 and verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will or what you desire and it shall be done for you. Wow, what a wonderful verse. A lot of people read this verse. They get excited excited about this verse. They run away with it. Oh, my goodness. He said that whatsoever that I desire, he, it will be done for me. What a great blank check. But is this really a blank check? I don't think so. Because it first of all sets, sets, starts with, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Hallelujah. It shall be done for you. Hallelujah. When you abide in me and I abide, yeah, my words abide in you. Guess what? When all of that abiding happens, something happens to your will. When you are abiding in him and God's words are abiding in you, it, it will shape your will. It will shape your desires. Your will will become molded into agreement with his will so that what you are desiring and what you are willing is actually also what God is desiring and what God's will wills. So it doesn't contradict that prayer is about getting God's will done. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. The true purpose of prayer is all about the will of God. So my first preoccupation is prayer. In prayer, listen. My first preoccupation in prayer is to find out what is the will of God. So I'm not actually in always in a rush to start blabbing in prayer. My first preoccupation in prayer is to find out what is God's will. What does God want? So th that's my first prayer. My first prayer is for the knowledge of the will of God. God's will is revealed in his word. So you start to find out that even meditation in his word is a form of prayer. I'm, I'm searching out his will. I'm searching out his mind. So I'm not in a rush to start blabbing requests, this, that, and the other, without, first of all, trying to gain a knowledge of his will. When God came on the scene with the earth without form and void, what was the first thing that God said? Let there be light. Let there be light. His first objective was let there be light. Let me see what this picture is. 
So then I will know how to put things in order. Do you get me what I'm saying? So very often in situations and circumstances, I am always first and foremost seeking for light. Let there be light. Let me see clearly what is up. I want to know the will of God. When you study the Pauline prayers, that's the prayers that Paul, uh, their great apostle Paul wrote and um, prayed for uh, the Ephesians, the Colossians, the Philippians, and so on and so forth. You see the majority of Paul's prayers were thanksgiving for what God had already done and prayers for us to be filled up with the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the will of God. He wanted us to know the will of God. So Paul's prayer was, wasn't praying for us so much to do as he was praying for us to know. He wanted us to know. He was praying that you would know. So we too should be praying to know. I want to know what your will is. I want to know what your mind is. I want to know what your di direction is. So, so we start to see from all these things that I've quickly shared with you, you start to see why we pray. And I'm going to quickly try to surmise it as we start to bring tonight's teaching to a close. Hallelujah. I love for you to go back and listen to again and meditate on. Let me try to surmise, summarize the reasons why we have to pray. The world is waiting on us to become effective and intelligent in the place of prayer. Number one reason why we must pray is for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God will not automatically be done. It is only done through the prayers of the saints because God needs our prayers as the legitimate legal access point for him to be able to come in and intervene. Oh, somebody saying that, what do you mean the will of God will not be automatically done? Yes, God wishes or desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of, of Christ Jesus, the knowledge of the truth. So why aren't all men saved if God's will will automatically be done? Why would he tell us to wage a good warfare with the prophecies, which is a, a an exposure of what God's desire is that has been spoken over our lives? Because it's not automatic. So the first reason why we must pray, the first reason why you must develop a strong, disciplined prayer life, why you must give yourself to the place of prayer is that God's will will not be done the way it should be done in your life, in your environment, without the legal access provided by your prayers. So the first reason why we must pray and why we pray is for the will of God to be done on the earth or in the earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. So sometimes when I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, use my prayer as your access point. Hallelujah. Use my prayer as your entry point into this situation and into this circumstance. All right. Number two reason why we pray we pray to know, not first to do, but to know. I pray to know the truth. Let there be light. I pray for light. So in many situations and circumstances, I, I first of all pause to seek for light, to say, Lord, give me light. Give me light in this situation. Give me exposure in this situation. Let me see what the real issue is so that I'll therefore know what I ought to pray in this situation. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? 
I'm not going to quickly assume that I know what it is. I'm going to take just a moment. And because my heart posture, as your heart posture should be, is constantly, Lord, what are you saying? What's your will? What do you want done? I, I, it doesn't take me long to seek and, seek and find out God's will in various situations and circumstances that I face. And then I know what I'm meant to pray. Number three reason why we pray. As the widow said, avenge me of my adversary. We pray because there is opposition. Oh, labakashondaria. There is op opposition. We pray. The reason why we must pray is to, over to, to uh, overcome the opposition to God's will being done on the earth. There is an adversary. Uh, brethren, we are living in days where the adversary is waxing strong. We're living in days where the adversary is rising. We're living in days when the adversary is infiltrating every sector and every arena. More than ever, we need to rise up in the place of intelligent prayer. The reason why we often have delays is not because God is not willing, but because there is an adversary, there's an opponent that is standing in between the answer and us. Hallelujah. David set in his heart to fast and to pray 21 days for an answer. And it was on the 21st day that the answer came through. But then the angel that brought the answer told him, the very day that Daniel started to pray, God sent the answer. But there was opposition. There was resistance in the heavenly places that delayed the arrival of the answer. I decree and declare that answers in your life that have been delayed because of opposition in heavenly, right now we push aside that opposition in the name of Jesus. We pull down those strongholds and whatever forces have been blocking your answers, now receive speedy delivery of your answers in the name of Jesus. So the third reason why we must pray and why we pray is because of the reality of opposition, because there is an adversary. Hallelujah. Then number four and final reason I'm going to share tonight as to why we pray and why we must pray. We pray to be transformed. Ooh, hallelujah. We pray to be transformed. Hallelujah. Why we must pray? For our own transformation. Hallelujah. I know you thought prayer was a means of changing God, but he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the never-changing God. What prayer does, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. Can I tell you the truth even about fasting? We're in a season of fasting and prayer now. Fasting does not change God. Fasting is not about to change God's mind. God's mind is already made up and set. His thoughts towards us are not thoughts of evil, but of good, to give us a future and a hope to bring us to an expected end. Hallelujah. So our fasting and our prayer do not change God. What they do is they change us. They make us more sensitive to the will of God. They help us to discern the will of God. They help us to behold God. Oh, hallelujah. And as we behold the image of his glory, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we are changed into that same image 
from glory to glory. So prayer transforms us. Oh, Bakashuta. Some of my greatest revelations have come while praying, in the midst of prayer. It's like light starts to flood. Scriptures start to open up in ways they haven't opened up before, in the place of prayer, in the place of intercession. Hallelujah. So the fourth reason why we pray and why we must pray is for our own transformation. So let me run through it again. The four reasons why we pray. We pray for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray to know the truth. Let there be, be light. We pray to, uh, to overcome all the opposition of the enemy against the will of God being done on the earth. And we pray to be transformed. We are transformed when we pray. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen and amen. Well, tonight was just about laying the foundation. I hope, I hope that you are getting the, already getting answers. Now, um, let me just give you some, some heads up. Um, I can see somebody's already asking a, a, a question here. Um, there are so many, so many questions on this topic, sir. Will you be doing a Q&A session on prayer? Yes, sir. I will be doing a Q&A session on, on the subject of prayer. It's going to be the last Wednesday of this month. Um, last Wednesday of this month is going to be all about, I would have taught three classes in the prayer school, and then we will be, will be open to, it will be a practical session on prayer where we'll be answering questions. We won't just be answering questions, hallelujah. Um, that's on Wednesday, the 27th of, 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 of April. Won't just be answering questions. We're also, I want you to also, brethren, I want you to bring um, maybe situations and circumstances where you, you're like, okay, I have this situation, I have this circumstance, I don't quite know how to pray or what I should pray for, how I should pray about this situation and circumstance. So it's going to be a practical session. It won't just be me just teaching from beginning to end. I want to, us to be able to have an interactive session where you're asking your questions. And potentially, I'll even have um, panelists come on board that also have questions and that can also contribute answers. Wouldn't that be a great one? That's on Wednesday, the 27th of April. So yes, I will be dealing with questions and answers on that day. But today, I hope you can already see, hallelujah, a strong foundation. I know uh, what I've sh shared with you in 40-odd minutes right now, my goodness, it's years of walking with God, studying and praying that have been able to bring it all of that. And I know that I condensed so much in that that, that those 40 minutes. So this is something you need to listen to and you need to share with others to, 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 to discuss. But... You can see that there's some great truth there. And I believe God for revival in your prayer life, that the, the every crooked path in your prayer life is made straight. Now you start to pray like you haven't been able to pray before. May the will of God become even clearer to you so that you're able to pray his will. And as you're praying his will, it's coming to pass in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. If you are out there and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we can't allow you to go tonight without giving you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't harden your heart. So very quickly, repeat these words out of prayer after me if you're ready to submit your life to Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Thank you for giving your life for me. Today, I repent of my sin. 
and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart and I confess with my lips. By faith right now, I am saved, born again, a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you pray that prayer, you are indeed saved, delivered, and set free. And we are so excited and elated that you made that decision. We want to help you to grow in the Lord, to move from being a child to becoming a mature son of God. So please contact us, direct message us on any of our platforms. Send us an email or visit our website and follow the pathway there. And let's help you to grow in the Lord. God bless you all. Thank you for joining in the midweek service tonight. You are awesome people. You are great people. Um, and I pray that the blessing of the word that you have heard will indeed be fulfilled in your lives in the mighty name of Jesus. See you in prayer tomorrow morning. See you on Sunday. And don't you dare miss, miss the second installment in the prayer school next week, Wednesday. It's all about praying in the new covenant. God bless you real good. Let's share the grace and fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen. And surely God's goodness and God's mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you.